end. We are recording with Dr. Harvey Rich on Tuesday, June 11th, 2023 at 4.06 p.m. Eastern Time. And as uh, we were just discussing beforehand, it's um, it's always a bit of a coincidence that whenever I have on prominent doctors to talk about COVID, COVID corruption, suppression of early treatment, uh, Zoom manages to go down. And I'm sure that has nothing to do with it being owned by the Chinese Communist Party. But with that, Dr. Rich, will you please introduce yourself, sir? Well, thank you. Great to be with you. Yes, sir. Um, so, re- so I'm actually listening to a book right now called uh, "Dark Alliance" about a. Uh, it's by Gary Webb, and it's about it's kind of about the Contras and in the '80s and, and 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 cocaine trafficking and all that stuff. And none of that's pertinent to anything we're talking about. But there's one line that I heard in it yesterday, and it kind of made me think of COVID. And I want to know if 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 you could maybe elaborate on it because you've talked about kind of pandemic corruption and suppression of early treatment before. And um, they were arresting these 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 coke dealers in Los Angeles in the early, I think, mid 80s. And they arrested this guy named Norwin Menezes. And they started pulling on this thread, these local beat cops. And they and you can now read like them talking to each other afterwards, saying we are so far in over our heads because they talked to this guy. And this guy calls someone and they trace the number and the number goes to Langley, which is the CIA. And they're reporting to Bush. And you just have these guys like my age looking at each other. They're raiding home and they're finding all this like these thermal optics and encrypted stuff. And they're going, dude, what is this? And I think one of them said, as they started to uncover it and saw that it went to international CIA subterfuge. And here these guys making like $20,000 a year with a pistol. And they said, uh, the line is like a cruise ship coming out of the fog the mass of the corruption was was awesome i mean truly in the word awesome it they see this thing coming out and and in their and their analogy is and when we're sitting in a rowboat so with that um and maybe i'm just now sort of pinning it together as i'm doing a podcast from my bedroom trying to uncover all this thing i kind of do feel like those cops could you maybe elaborate on just the size of the corruption and, and frankly, crimes against humanity that have been going on. Well, I think you're right. I think it's immense. And I think that this is not just, you know, the CDC and the FDA running rogue. This is designed from above. We've become knowledgeable now uh, how much the CIA has been involved in not just international politics, trying to tailor the world for the United States but in domestic politics and that's what you're alluding to with with those drug dealers in los angeles that they discovered that the cia was involved in domestic activities trying to do whatever the cia wants to do now it's been discussed recently that the cia has about twenty-two thousand employees of which twenty thousand are patriotic hard-working you know wholesome largely wholesome uh, Americans who are trying to do the right thing, you know, and earn a living. And and then there's a few thousand at the top who are balkanized, who are being playing fast and loose with what they can get away with in the world and in the U.S. for projects that they themselves know about, but maybe even their peers at the CIA don't even know about, and maybe their bosses at the CIA have an inkling about, but don't know the details of. And when you get into that level of, of secrecy, secrecy and independence, there's basically no controlling anything. And so we have no idea that when the pandemic uh, was proclaimed as, a, as an emergency, five days after the medical emergency, it was given or was taken by the National Security Council to manage. And so the whole pandemic management has been in terms of a national security management and basically wartime footing rather than a public health management. And so my understanding is that as much as the decisions and actions of the FDA and the CDC have been at large variance with the scientific evidence, that they were being told what to do. They were not being allowed to be independent scientists. Now, maybe some of them thought they were, but I don't know. But they were basically being told what to do because it was being laid on them that this is 
national emergency security and you will follow us or have dire consequences for you, your family and whatever. And so you saw people like uh, Dr. Walensky sitting there making broadcasts with profuse perspiration on her and nervousness that somebody who really knows her science and medicine would not have been saying those things that she said. She was saying things under duress, and and the duress has to have come from someone directing her to say those things in ways that put pressure on her that are just not natural for what that job description entails. And and so this the whole pandemic has been more than just some virus got into existence, and we don't know why, and now it's it's happened around the world, and now look, our saviors have made a vaccine that's safe and effective, not. And we've had to suppress early treatment, which we know works, it does. And, um, and, and uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have died waiting for the vaccines that turns out they work briefly and then they go south and they, they cause damage. And so this is the, the whole thing that it's been, what our government does really well, but not perfectly, it's cover-ups. And so we now we're now in the cover-up era of and maybe the whole time it was cover-up. Maybe the whole point of, of national security was to cover up the origins of how our government had funded this gain-of-function research through what I would call nefarious scientists doing this under pretense that this is somehow going to benefit the United States against other nefarious countries. And instead, what it did is it put plausibility to something that is uh, totally unreasonable to have done in the first place, that this dangerous research was carried out under incompetent circumstances, that doing it in a BSL-2 lab in, in China is not secure enough to prevent the virus getting out, yet that's what it was done before the BSL-4 lab was opened. This was this work was being done with a dangerous virus that was that was created by lab engineering to make it dangerous to humans. And and there's no doubt whatsoever about that. We just the only remaining piece of the puzzle we don't know is whether it got out accidentally or intentionally. And we may never know that. That, you know, is is may not be possible to know, but regardless of that fact, it could have predicted it was going to get out. Tony Fauci predicted multiple times that something was going to get out when he knew full well what was going on because he had approved it. And it was only a matter of time running in a crappy laboratory, crappy secure laboratory in China, that it would eventually get out. And so the fact is that they knew this was happening. They abetted it. There was no reason to think that doing bioengineering to create a, a, a dangerous virus would lead to a, a, a vaccine that was safe and effective and, and counteracted this virus. Because look, they invented the virus, they developed the virus in 2015 and 16. Okay, why was there no effort to generate a vaccine between 2016 and, and, 2000, and 2019? Okay, the plausibility of doing gain-of-function research is to generate candidates that you can make vaccines for. Because then, if our arch enemies release these kinds of dangerous viruses, we'll be prepared of course, this is fiction because all I have to do is change a few sites on on the protein, and then we're unprepared for for the virus and have to go and scramble, and and have no idea whether what we're going to make will actually work. So this has all been a pretense, you know, for plausibility to make a, a dangerous virus without the, the the reality of it being immediately applicable, you know, when some danger occurs, and and so they spent four years not making this vaccine until the the virus was out that they knew was coming. So this to me is all malfeasance throughout the whole thing, the whole system, and that we're in the cover-up period. Now the denying and, and covering up and so on, and having to go to you know these lawsuits to get compliance with the FOIA laws, to get materials out of NIH, out of the government, to actually see what people were doing in, as, you know, in the way that they covered up this whole pandemic. Meanwhile, Hundreds of thousands of people died unnecessarily. I want to go back to the uh, under under duress, <clears throat> Walensky, FDA, CDC. It does kind of seem like that, and I believe I think I think Doctor McCall, I think it was d December of last year. Doctor McCall came on here, and we were talking about the actual manufacturing of the vaccines, and he was saying 
quite certainly that 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 Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, Johnson and Johnson, these were merely facades and these products were rolled out by DOD contractors and these were just kind of used as front men, if you will. It's this is all leading more and more to so I guess the big question then comes is is it was this all well we now know it is all cloak and dagger but why and we'll, we'll never know like you said you know did the virus jump accidentally or was it released we'll probably never know you know whoever was behind kennedy getting popped i'm sure they didn't leave a memo like they're not stupid they know i'm sure we'll never find the actual you know the confident the cctv of here's covid and you know dumping it on they're not dumb they're evil but they're not dumb um but you know, I I do think at a certain point it is it is it is adequate, reasonable, and you know necessary to speculate. Is if this is all coming from the higher up, DOD, kind of military, industrial intelligence, pharma apparatus. Why, was it truly for national security, and are we seeing the the sloppiness that happens in giant wars? I always think of the movie. Um, I believe it was letters from Iwo Jima and there's this giant um, armada of American ships and they're going to Iwo Jima and uh, the, the air force is doing a flyby for like morale and you see all these guys and they're all cheering and you know, they all know they're going to die and it's, you know, so the planes are flying by and they're all cheering and it's miles long. Just all these troop transport ships and one guy and they're like 10 stories up is waving and waving and he, and he, and he falls over the edge, and he tumbles down to the ocean. And they're in the middle of the ocean. They're in the middle of the Pacific, right? So that's that's a death sentence. And uh, everyone's watching him. They're going, "Oh crap! Oh crap! Then we gotta slow it down. We gotta slow it down." And then he grabs like his commanding officer or something. And the officer looks at him, and they're seeing the guy flailing, and it, he's just trailing, trailing. And he's like, "Why aren't we stopping the ships?" And he's like, "Soldier, like look up and down this armada, right? It's a hundred hundred thousand troops." He's like, "We're not stopping. He's he's gone." You're all like we're all going to die anyway. He's gone, and on a micro scale, that's terrible. But if your job is to you know defeat the Japanese and end World War II, yeah, that's that's one guy who the thing's not stopping, and that's horrible. But war is horrible, and someone has to make these cold, calculating decisions. If we're not stopping, we're going to Iwo Jima. Now that sounds like a, a Pentagon talking point, right? I just got my I just got my paycheck from Pentagon for that. Are we maybe seeing this? Are we seeing a 2023 version of letters from Iwo Jima? That there is sloppiness, there's censorship, and I don't. By the way, I don't believe any of what I'm saying right now. I'm using this as a devil's advocate. Are we seeing the sloppiness of what happens in the face of national security? Were more people saved than not? Did Were actions taken that were truly in the best defense of the United States because we have some intelligence somewhere from some NRO satellite that this was an act of war and in 50 years our grandkids will find out that the COVID vaccines, though bad, somehow prevented World War III? Is there any of that plausibility? Or is this truly, are we just seeing the, the fruits of a decaying, corrupt nefarious system and there is no expectation or even pretense for believing that this was in the face of national security was this truly just a money grab and or power grab for that excuse me vaccine passports digital currency which is just the you know the the wet dream of every tyrant in the history of man is to control the movement of people resources power all that stuff your thoughts on any of that gibberish i just vomited out to you well i think that it falls into the latter category i can't see yeah. that this has some expressed benefit because the vaccines weren't needed in the first place mm. if there were a national calamity on this very virus that treating people as outpatients starting within the first four or five days of symptoms with hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, vitamin D, you know, steroids like budesonide, uh, zinc, vitamin C, other um, supplements, nasal sprays, and and you know, antibiotic nasal sprays and antiviral nasal sprays, and so on. This whole complex but useful regimen 
will basically prevent mortality in over 95 to 99% of high-risk people. And we know this from empirical studies, not just the scientific studies. Certainly, there's been um, dozens of scientific studies that are high quality that demonstrate the benefit of these agents for keeping people out of the hospital and especially from keeping them from dying. And this is how I got into the pandemic in the first place, by reviewing the studies for hydroxychloroquine and looking at mortality and hospitalization as the endpoints. Not what did the virus go away in five or seven days? Not did you feel better? Okay, None of these touchy-feely subjective outcomes. The outcomes of relevance are hospitalization and mortality in people treated as outpatients, not people in the hospital, it's a different disease, in outpatients. And the studies, there are nine studies of hydroxychloroquine and I think 11 or 12 of ivermectin now, and they all show uniformly the benefits of these medications. So there was no question that these medications would have solved the great majority of the pandemic, let them develop the vaccines, but not use it across the board. That was, of course, the stupidest possible public health measure that could ever have been envisioned, that the vaccines would have only had an application in high-risk people, meaning elderly or people with multiple chronic conditions. There should never have been any reason to give the vaccines to younger people, to children for sure, to middle-aged, healthy working people, only the people with, with chronic conditions who are at serious risk from the original strains of the virus. And of course, that's all gone. Once Omicron happened, essentially that was all gone except for the most exquisitely high-risk people at risk. And so there's no reason that the vaccines needed any kind of program the way they did, that we had the machinery, the, the therapeutic machinery to control this in the first place. So the fact that this was suppressed on purpose to foster deaths, to raise panic, to make people more willing to take the vaccines is a very clear uh, force to sell vaccines, not to protect the public. And the, the force to sell vaccines has only a benefit of economic benefit for the, co the companies. And so what you have here is corruption of the, the so-called public-private partnership corruption, the cabal between the government and private industries, select private industries to take over the economic marketplace in major ways. And that's, I believe, what happened. And I don't think and, and if the security apparatus of the state plays into that and it's running defense for those companies as well as as uh, enforcing the you know all of the the vaccine tyranny to to run the, the the programs for those companies well then so much the better for everybody they all share in the glory of of their their private economic win over the health and benefit and economics of the people of the country yeah it's uh, <clears throat> often on this podcast, I, I do what I did, where I presented a giant argument to see maybe is there a chance. It's nothing I ever actually believe. It's just, I have to for the, sa for the sake of being, being intellectually limber. I have to throw out is there. But it, no, you're right. I mean, I think it was World War One. They collected peach cores because you could use them as makeshift gas mask filters. That's to me, that is. That's what you do when you're in total war, right? You grab anything. You grab, dare I say, you know, over-the-counter solutions like a peach core or, you know, at the end of World War II. We were developing the A-bomb. We also had another pie-in-the-sky project, and it was, was tying little little uh, uh, napalm packets to bats. And we were going to drop like 100,000. I'm not even kidding. They were going to drop like 100,000 bats over Tokyo. And what happens is they would go fly and they would go nest in all these wooden structures, and then they would have a timed fuse or something, and after 12 hours, they would all detonate and burn down the city. They tried this out in Nevada, and I think all the bats flew and went to, like, an Air Force hangar and burned it down, and then, like, a week <laughs> later... Yeah, no, I'm not even kidding. Like, a week later, the A-bomb worked, and they were like, we're going <laughs> to... We're gonna cover up the bat one. We're gonna use. I the think. Bat I one. think Bill Gates invented the bat. Bat one. Yeah, yeah. He would. He, he was. Yeah. His ancestors were. Uh, they were benefiting off that. But that, to me, and I always use that example, is that is the sense of total war. We're hoping the A bomb works, but if it doesn't, we've got this this bat thing. That's what you do when you're truly throwing everything at it. None of my argument holds up because ivermectin, vitamin D, 
hydroxychloroquine. It was all suppressed. That's that's why I got banned from YouTube. The final nail in the coffin was a clip with Dr. McCullough telling people to take vitamin D. So to me, man, even if I'm a lawyer for these demons, I'd I'd be like, you can't you can't even pull the vaccine thing. It's not that you threw the vaccine out and also kind of you su- actively suppress the alternative treatments, which. I guess then we kind of come to a bigger meta picture. So it was clearly for money. It was clearly for vaccine sales. As far as rackets go, they've perfected the racket of of war. They've perfected it since Smedley Butler talked about it in 1933, 30 years before Eisenhower gave the military-industrial complex speech. And they've perfected it so well. Korea, Vietnam, Desert Storm global war on terror the amount of effort they put into covid doesn't to me it doesn't balance out it seemed to be so much effort to not necessarily make more than they make off of war so for just going with the money hypothesis i have trouble with that one because It'd be like if I if I drove 50 miles every day to go work at a McDonald's and make minimum wage, but there's a McDonald's across the street. Eventually, right. you'd the, co- the cost of the effort is is more than you you make in and 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 profits basically. Which then makes you think, well, Tommy, why are you working at that McDonald's, and not the one across the street? If they both make minimum wage, oh, there's something else going on. What is that thing? Go? Is it a power grab? Is it vaccine passports? Is it is it just tyranny 2.0? And again, we're obviously we're speculating wildly. Why did they go into that? But was this just a new kids on the block? Was this the biopharmaceutical complex wanting to get in and be like, the Pentagon has all the fun. It's our turn. And this is their first rodeo. So it was a bit sloppy. But what are your thoughts on why it happened? Well, we can't completely know. Sure. You know, the, the nature of, of which industry, but certainly pharma as an industry is so megalomaniacal across the world, if not across the United States, that it controls so much of the dialogue of health that, you know, media get commercials from pharma. They think, the media thinks, oh, look, we're, we're going to sell commercial time. It'll keep us afloat. We'll, we'll make a profit. Meanwhile, and pharma says, hey, we get three benefits out of this. We put our products in front of the public. We tell doctors what they need to know, so that lets the responsibility of adverse events off of our shoulders and onto doctors, which is a legal requirement of the doctors have to be the interpreters of the technical aspects of informed consent to patients. And the third is we addict the media with our sponsorship, which means we we control what they're allowed to say in other realms so that we are protected from them as independent agencies. And that's what's happened, and it's corrupted all of the the so-called uh, legacy or what I call state-controlled media, and it, it's corrupted the medical journals that the great majority of them that that take pharma advertising, pharma support, and so on. And so you have to realize that to bring a new drug to market costs a billion dollars for the research. Why does it cost a billion dollars for the research? A lot of money. It's because it probably takes about a hundred failed drugs. To get every to get one successful one out there into the market, and so all that research on all those failed drugs is very disappointing and costs a lot of money. And so, with the billion dollars you get, you know, you could probably do it for ten million if you knew what was the right one in the first place. But yeah. since nobody does, it costs all that. Okay, so a billion dollars is a lot of money to get a successful drug out there. But then pharma spends two billion dollars to market it. Where does that two billion dollars go? It's not just paying you know, $3 million to the to the FDA to review the drug. It's paying for all of the consultants, the medical influencers, all those journals, all of those ads, all of that control all over the world to get people aligned with your message and prevent them from any counter messages on the medications. And so $3 billion for a drug it seems like a gigantic amount of money, but you have to realize that when you sell a drug for seven or seventy thousand dollars a treatment run, that you're going to make twenty-five or thirty billion dollars. The traditional method is you put five or ten in escrow for the lawsuits that eventually happen, and then you walk home with twenty billion dollars of, of pure profit. And that's how the pharma enterprise works. So 
the fact is that this $2 billion that they spend on these drugs corrupts the economic workplace, marketplace, just terribly. And it, it means that, that pharma just walks all over everything and does what it damn well pleases and suppresses all of these counter narratives when they start coming out because their drugs don't generally work as advertised. And as you know now, the vaccines have not worked as advertised originally. They're not safe and they're not effective. They're so-called effective for short periods of time. They go south, they go below effect, they go below zero and increase risk of, of getting infected for some period of time. And they're just not useful as a public health agent. And the uh, CDC said that explicitly on August 11th of last year. They said that two doses of the vaccines are useless for preventing transmission and boosters work for transient period of time, which wanes. And that's not a public health strategy. You can't just be giving these shots every three months because that's how long it takes before they, they're useless. So the whole point is that with time, we've seen that the vaccines fail as a public health strategy. They cause untold suffering and harm that, that we've been gaslit over by the government because of its ulterior motives. And, you know, nevertheless, all of this information has been coming out. So, and all of this is suppressed by the immense amount of pharma money. So what we have, this is all a, a racketeering scheme and, you know, that there should be government regulation and restriction of all this because it's like interlocking directorates were in the 1930s, you know, and, and, and so on in the corruption of, of previous generations when companies conspired to control the marketplace by interlocking the people who control the companies across wide swaths, uh, swaths of, of the economy. So pharma is doing this now in, a, in an area of pharma and medicine that is so large, uh, uh, you know, a component of, of human everyday life that it's become controlling and, and we need some kinds of racketeering protection that the government needs to employ that we haven't gotten to yet. Realistically, how would that even happen? Would you, you, I mean, well, again, given that, that, that so much of Congress has PAC money supplied by pharma, that realistically speaking, there are very few independent voices in Congress, you know, people like Senator Johnson, who who are, are not subject to that control. Like the book I'm reading, they talked about how crack cocaine have been taken over, slowly taking over Los Angeles for years, but it wasn't until there were high-profile celebrity deaths that something finally happened, and then Congress came out and said, this is an overnight problem, and all the cops were going, what do you mean? We've been dealing with this for five years. But it had finally become, it had slipped into the Overton window, it had worked well with Nancy Reagan's Just Say No campaign, and then things started to get done. Is that what's going to happen? Is some senator going to lose a child to a blood clot or a wife to myocarditis or something, and then it's going to change? Is that the unfortunate reality? I think that's already happened, and nothing's changed. And you have to you have to put it in perspective in what our society tolerates. So, you know, in a normal year, pre-COVID, influenza might have caused between twenty-five and forty thousand deaths. We tolerate that as a society. Um, mortality from handguns, either uh, intentional or accidental shootings and suicides is 35 or 40,000 deaths a year. Automobile act fatalities and accidents is somewhere along 25 to 40,000 deaths a year. So we tolerate all those things. And, you know, for now in, in the Omicron era to have that many deaths, uh, you know, a year would be in parallel to all those things. The common cold causes maybe 10,000 deaths a year because, and, you know, because there are people out there who are very exquisitely sensitive and, and have all these chronic comorbidities, you know, that uh, at, at the end of, of life, they're at very great risk from simple pulmonary infections like common cold. So, so then we move up. Those are the things that we tolerate without even discussing more or less. Then we move up to medical mistakes made by hospitals and doctors is over 100,000 deaths a year, okay? Well, we're the voices against that. 
you know, we have individuals who sue their hospitals or sue their doctors and, you know, and doctors have malpractice insurance and so on. But that's kind of pretty quiet in the, in the scope of things. Most doctors don't do the wrong thing. They're not intentionally doing, um, making, you know, incorrect choices. But medicine is an imperfect science. And, and some of that happens in spite of one's best and, uh, intentions. And then we move up from that to tobacco deaths. So here we have a product that's been with our society for a long time that causes 500,000 deaths a year. And we're inured to that. Why are we worried about COVID deaths, which haven't reached that level, when we tolerate year in, year out, half a million deaths a year from tobacco? The reason for that is tobacco deaths occur in people at ages when they're normally collecting Social Security, by and large. The average Social Security payout is $20,000 a year. So multi and, and people die from tobacco-related diseases about 10 years earlier than when they would have died to whatever natural causes would have eventually gotten them. So take 500,000 people, multiply by $20,000, multiply by 10 years, and you get $100 billion a year that the government is saving because of these tobacco deaths, saving from Social Security payouts. The medical care of those people is not much different than other end-of-life medical care. So there's not a, a, a greatly increased cost of medical care that over what one, one would normally pay out. You know, so that doesn't affect anything. And every member of Congress knows that it's saving in the budget $100 billion a year from tobacco-related deaths. Do they say anything? No. Have there been any substantial programs to ameliorate this? No. They put out statements saying we're more concerned about the 50,000 tobacco workers in the country than we are about the half a million people who die every year from the products used as intended by the manufacturers. And so think of the hypocrisy in our society that if Congress won't increase taxes on everybody by $300 a year or whatever it is to, to uh, across the board, which is not a huge increase except for indigent people, you know, that would ameliorate this hundred billion dollars a year in 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 the, the the tobacco mortality, then they know, Congress knows this. They're afraid that if they increase taxes three hundred dollars per person per year, that they're gonna lose their offices. So they're more concerned about getting reelected than they are about doing the right thing and preventing all these unnecessary deaths from a product that serves no benefit other than to addict people to, to pay money for something that they didn't need in the first place. So there we have the corruption in our society that has been going on for decades and decades that we do nothing about, you know, and just think about it, you know, for you as a government, if your moral calculus is, hey, the more people we can kill at, during Social Security, the more money we'll make, you know, and, and society won't lose. They're, they're useless breathers, useless eaters. And we do that the same way the Germans did it in World War, at the beginnings of World War II. These are useless members of society who don't contribute, therefore we can get rid of them and save money. And we've been doing that forever. Which then brings up COVID. Is that just, right. is that just uh, tobacco 2.0? Might be. I, I mean, if we're going to lay out that argument, you know, why wouldn't you do that? Why why wait for people to smoke? Why not just hit them with a virus? Right. You know, and get rid of the, the weak people, the ones who can't fight off the, the vaccine, basically. Oh. I mean... Except, you know, <laughs> this is hitting middle-aged people, too. It's hitting people in the working years. The insurance company mortality of, of people... Age eighteen to sixty-four has also gone up twenty-five to forty percent since the, the the vaccines have come out. So this isn't due to COVID; it's due to the vaccines or during the period when the vaccines have taken effect. They're they're on towards effects. So you know you're you're damaging your working class people. That's not in the economic interest of the country to do that. So am, am I that am I that cop rolling up on the, the thermal vision and the Coke dealers? And going, oh man, what it? I mean, I'm 32. I'm doing this podcast from my bedroom. This is episode 1,291. I got banned two years ago from YouTube for kind of tackling the COVID question and suppression of free speech. And you know, I got into medical school in 2013. I didn't go, but I got in, and so I have great respect and love for the field of medicine. And 
was so aghast that the CDC was doing this. I'm, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm like a child. I'm like, you're not supposed to do that. You took the Hippocratic Oath like, like an idiot. And now I'm just starting to look at all of this, and it seems like the powers that play are so large and so glacial in their in their inertia that and I, and I go back and forth with this like a metronome just should I just shut up and 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 review the Kardashians and and make more money or is there something deeper that it's yeah it's evil and I'm probably not going to beat it but to consciously put down the sword and just let it happen is no I think no better than than doing the evil itself. So, I mean... Well, there's a uh, an aphorism in the Talmud which says that you um, are not expected to complete the task, but that doesn't mean you're allowed not to start it. That That basically, you have to engage with these things, even if you yourself are not going to cause it to win, that you contribute to it in your way and each of us contributes in our way. And our job is to push this backlash into existence, to push back against this tyranny. Because think about it, during the American Revolution, do you think that it was 100% of Americans who, who didn't side with the British? No. What percent of, of Americans yeah. actually fought in the American Revolution? I thought it was three. Three percent uh, or 10%, something between three and 10%. That's right. And the rest, kind of hedged their bets to see which army was nearby at the time to know uh. which side to pretend to be on, right? But we knew, and they knew at the time, that democracy requires sacrifice, skill, dedication, courage. And, and it was the right thing, that tyranny is never right. Tyranny is never right. It may win because of its power, but it is never right. And we have set the world afire with democracy. You know, at, at the, the time of the American Revolution, we were the only democratic country. You know, now there's hundreds of de nominally democratic countries. To one degree, democracy is a continuum. So to one degree or another, many, if not most of the world's countries are democracies or trying to be democracies. And, and that is something that we have given to the world. And why should we capitulate now because of a cabal of corrupt people who are trying to take that democracy away from us? The answer is, we're going to fight for it the same way our ancestors fought for it. And that, that's, there, there is no choice. You know, they're corrupt and evil, and we're not. And whether you believe in God or not, whatever your belief system is, if you're on the side that says totalitarian corruption and uh, of, of the, the, the government and the economy, is wrong and evil and non-democratic, then you stand with us and you vote them out, you take them to court, you use every method available to, legal method available, to win this over the corruption. And it, it's, you know, the, the American Revolution didn't just take three years, it, it took a generation. It didn't start in 1776, it, it started well before that, when people wrote all, all the Federalist Papers, and even before that, when they started thinking about what they could do with the country and what, why they came here and why they took the risk of crossing the ocean to start you know, a colony in a place where there was no real um, organized society and what kind of society they wanted to make and how they founded their societies in all the different colonies, you know, in the 13 colonies of the country and, and how those evolved into formulating democratic principles that weren't quite democratic until they got rid of slavery, but still that was aimed to create a democratic country, self-governing by the people who would have review of their elected representatives through the ballot and, and the courts and so on. And the system of checks and balances was brilliant, genius, in a way that no country has basically devised before or after, and yet is still imperfect because it's corruptible. And corruption is, is an unfortunate aspect of human nature. So that's why we have checks and balances. 
and and once the media got corrupted and we lost the ability to investigate and monitor the corruption you know for a large fraction of of the government's activities then it's made it harder to do but not impossible and so it's our job to maintain as best we can and to rouse others from their stupor to understand that the, the democracy is being taken away from us and we will not stand for that it's not subtle it's obvious that this is what's been happening and it's our job to fight back just like our ancestors fought back against the the totalitarianism of their time we are fighting the totalitarianism of our time i think that's the one thing that always kind of gives me hope is when you think about that three percent number and it, that may sound depressing and overwhelming but it's actually not at all because now what you realize is that the vast majority of people are just watching they're there i say spineless they're just watching they're all in the middle of the seesaw there's only a couple bad guys on the other side and there's some good guys on this side you don't need a win a hundred percent it's really probably closer to like three percent versus three percent with 94 percent in the middle so it's not three percent versus 97 percent it's really three on three and once you start to shift your frame of mind to that then you go, oh, oh, we can do this. It's three on three. The people in the middle, the cowardice that allows evil to happen, it's a double-edged sword. It's also cowardice that will just follow you if you're winning. So it's you're really just versus three other people. And then I guess kind of lastly, I always think about it, and it's over your shoulder. I see Fauci. <laughs> I always just try to imagine, like, is that really the guy that I'm, that I'm going to submit to? You know? Uh if you submit to the Terminator, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's like, yeah, I, I kind of, I get it, you know. He's six four, muscles, got a minigun for an arm. Yeah, all right, yeah, you know, I, rationally, I get it. I look at Fauci, and I'm like, like we should bully him. Like we should throw him in a locker. Like, and that's how I try to look at it. Is like, is that really the right. face of the the dictator that we're gonna just? Yes. Well, that's why I like him in a box. <laughs> I know. That's where he is. I have him in a box. Yeah, I was thinking of painting vertical black bars on the front you know um <laughs> you should put a little uh, cctv camera on put a little webcam on them just yeah uh <laughs> l let me just say one other thing sure. about one of the reasons for for speaking with you today is what we do about this yeah that fauci and his ilk and the government corrupted medical care that corruption has permeated all the way through to medical licensing boards and um and and uh doctor uh specialty you know um organizations making pronouncements about medical care that can and cannot be done in spite of the fact that drugs for example are legally used off-label um, completely that's completely approved to do and it's up to doctor discretion in discussions with patients and as part of the suppression of the outpatient treatments that the FDA and government has corrupted the, the the marketplace of providing medical care to patients. And so this comes about, and I have, for example, a colleague for the first year of, of the, the pandemic was treating outpatients who came to him with hydroxychloroquine. And then he was forced to sell his practice to a state-wide um, medical care group that immediately shut off his ability to, to prescribe hydroxychloroquine. They told him, you will not prescribe hydroxychloroquine. And so he was forced to stop seeing those patients who started complaining to me that I was sending to the, them to him and he wasn't doing it. And this led to my involvement in, in the wellness company that ha is trying to surmount this corruption by providing unfettered medical care. So this is one of the things that one can do is you create scientific journals that don't take pharma money so that you can actually uh, review papers honestly and objectively and publish them objectively. Well, we're, we've created a, a, a telemedicine medical care uh, company that, as one of its functions, is to be able to see uh, patients in primary care as outpatients face-to-face -face on telemedicine and give them prescriptions and whatever advice on, as best we know it, unfettered by all of these uh, uh, corrupt restrictions on on what things can and cannot be prescribed.
And so I got into the, the wellness company that way. We're also um, providing um, supplements that we think are beneficial. They're less proven than, than um, you know, medications, but we're in uncharted waters to, largely in COVID. And so the evidence is accruing for those supplements. But in any event, that I think this has been an amazing opportunity to start helping people in a practical way and not just by me pontificating on podcasts Correct. and writing essays, you know, in lay media and, and so on about everything that's wrong with our society, but it's actually trying to do good in society and making this available. As you know, it's at twc.health and um, I can be found there in addition to my other places, but, but it's a great um, startup, I would say. We got into treating patients last October and we've ramped up now pretty well so that our throughput is is, is good for seeing patients and i think seven we have a, a our current track record is about 75 percent chance of being seen on the same day um and you know and and so this is where we're trying to move the needle in medical care to bring medical care back to where it was before covid before pharma control and corruption and uh you, you kind of you you stole my thunder. That's normally how I finish these talks is when we're talking about some big problem is what is something people can do? Cause I, I call it like the motivational video effect. You watch a YouTube video about getting up and working out and going in season and you're like, let's do it. And the video ends and you're just sitting in bed. You're like, wait, what am I doing? Like, where, where do we go from here? It's like, let's do it. Let's get it. And it's all right. I don't want to be depressing yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and leave and leave everybody down. You know, we have to fight, fight, fight. That's what we're doing, you know, but at the same time we have to, I'm not just a cheerleader. We have, you well, know, we have, we have to actually do something that's beneficial. That's what I mean. We can for help. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's like, it's, it's the first step is yeah to not be nihilistic and depressing, which is the big step. But then the next step is like, and then what do we actually do? And I always try to do that with people. I try to like direct them to a book or direct them to a, you know, with mental health. I always try to direct people to like, and here's where you can read about this or reach out to a friend or blah, blah, blah. I always try to do some actionable thing because none of it really means anything. If we're sitting here, we're like, we got to fight and the American flags behind me and we're talking about the colonies and then we end the video and it's people are just sitting there going, now what? And there right. is, and that is, I mean, and I'm, I'm not associated with the wellness company, but that's what it is, is it's an actual actionable thing it's a parallel system rumble is a parallel system to youtube it's you actually there are things to do it's not just cheerleading you can actually start to change and i think that's that's kind of a, the important takeaway yes I, I agree with you that people need to be active in their choices you know people have started realizing this in their political choices to stop supporting companies that reflect values that they disagree with you know that this is not just um one company that put out a, a a beer ad that people didn't subscribe to this is now percolating into other companies that are seeing their stock values decline uh substantially and so companies that have been towing what they thought was beneficial for their moral image their ethical image are learning that that is a very narrow view of their existence and that there are large groups of people out there who may disagree with them and those those social messaging uh components of what companies do are not necessarily in their stockholders bottom lines and they should be sticking to their products and and not you know moving into the the political sphere for no reason other than they have an obsession with them and uh you know fortunately for us that uh, I'm apolitical in my science and I'm apolitical in my medical care. And um, this has to be done as a matter uh, of benefit to society. And, and that's what motivates me in, you know, in, in everything that I've done in the last three years. You know, before COVID, I was basically an ivory tower scientist. I, I did my research. I've published more than 400 peer-reviewed scientific publications. And, and so on. And and all of that was gratifying at a, in an intellectual way. And I discovered some science along the way that I think is is really interesting and, and so on. I think I've made a contribution in that. But it pales to what I've espoused in the COVID period and from the early treatment that people did find out about. And people emailed me in the first few years of the pandemic telling me, you know, I was sick as hell. I was at death's door. And you told me 
how to find somebody who would give me a prescription for hydroxychloroquine. And I took it and I recovered in a few days and that saved me. And I can't thank you enough, you know, and, and regular clinicians get this day in, day out with, with doing good medical care. But for me as an academic, mm -hmm. not treating patients, this was totally mind blowing. Okay. I was actually doing something good for people that, that helped them. And, and, and this is, you know, something that, that how else can you, can you say it other than this is what people should be doing yeah. is actions that benefit other people that, that help at a, t at a time when those benefits are, are desperately needed because of what evil people are trying to push out onto society that's corrupting the society. I think Dr. McCullough told me once, it might've been Dr. McCullough, I'm pretty sure it was him. I think he told me that I've probably done more good doing these interviews than I ever would have, even if I was the best doctor I could have been. And I think that's maybe the best compliment I've ever, I've ever received. Because I mean, I, 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 I will always love medicine, and you know, I still sometimes think about whether or not I should have taken the acceptance. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I realistically, I've, I've probably done more through this, and it's not as glorious as having a white coat and being Dr. Kerrigan. Instead, I'm wearing slippers and sitting in a chair, but. Right, and, and you won't get the immediate feedback of knowing that you've done good, and you just have to trust that he's right, yeah. and probably, and I'm sure he's right. Yeah. And uh, you know, this is this is doing good in a sea of evil, even if it's a small amount of good, is massively important. Yes, sir. Beautifully said. And with that, Doctor Rish, I'll let you go. I could talk to you forever, man. You're a cool dude. True. And, Thank uh, you. And we'll uh, do it another time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, yeah. I, wasn't expecting to start this show talking about you know cocaine and the cia but here we are and uh, dr ish that was absolutely wonderful man thank you so much guys please go into the description you can find his bio you can find his twitter you can find his telegram you can find links to him and the wellness company i will send you the i'll email you the link so uh, you can post it if you'd like and thank you so much for your time sir great it's been a pleasure to be with you thank you so much guys thank you for watching Recording stay safe everybody stopped. god bless peace